Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Sylvia F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, June 8, 2017. Today, we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 52, third paragraph, where it begins, when we saw others solve their problems. Today's readers are The 12 Steps, Faye F., 12 Traditions, Jody E.Q., and our readers are Marie J., Sharon H., and Ashley P. The reference number for uh, Wednesday, June 10th, the 7th, our 10 a.m. meeting, June 7th, 10 a.m. meeting, is 10019, And then this morning's meeting, 7 a.m. meeting, is uh, reference code is 10021, 10021. And that's for uh, Thursday, June 8th at 7 a.m. Our preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine, we take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Faye F. to read the 12 steps. Faye? Star one, Faye. Faye, we can't hear you yet. Star one. Good morning. It's Faye. There you go. Okay. Okay. One, we admitted we are powerless over food, but our lives have become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continue to take personal inventory when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. So through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Faye. And now I will ask Jody E.Q. to read the 12 traditions. Jody E.Q.? Yes, this is Jody E.Q., gratefully recovered in California. Good morning. The 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 
Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Jody E.Q. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass and thus press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except for the speaker should be muted. And I've been hearing a fair amount of background noise, so if you could check to see if you're muted, that would be great. And please avoid a speaker phone because we get an echo. Today, we resume our study of the big book on page 52. We're on the third paragraph, which starts with when we saw others solve their problems. And we're going to read through two paragraphs, ending with who had insisted the rights would never fly. And I'm going to ask Marie J. to read that paragraph. Thank you, Sylvia. Good morning, everybody. This is Marie J. and I am recovered in Colorado. When we saw others solve their problems by a simple reliance on the spirit of the universe, we had to stop doubting the power of God. Our ideas did not work, but the God idea did. The Wright brothers' almost childish faith that they could build a machine which would fly was the mainspring of their accomplishment. Without that, nothing could have happened. We agnostics and atheists were sticking to the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems. When others showed us that God's sufficiency worked with them, we began to feel like those who had insisted the rights would never fly. Thanks for the opportunity to share. Um, <clears throat> I, I love that word about the Wright brothers' childish faith because I had so much self-consciousness, I didn't have any childish faith. I was always worried about what people would think of me. And deep inside, I believed, but I was afraid to be judged. And I was afraid I would be, you know, required somehow in this program to shout from the mountaintop my faith in order to be accepted into the program. And the great thing about this is that we don't, we don't do that here. No one says what to believe. No one tells me what God is. No one even uses the word, I mean, no one says we have to use the word God. And in the program, you know, we always hear the phrase attraction, not promotion, because attraction, not promotion works. We attract people to the way of this living because we are doing our best to live without judgment of other people and only offering our, our experience, strength, and hope and not telling people what to do. Um, and, and by that, our attractiveness, our, our spirit, and our relationship with higher power shines through. It attracts people. And... It, it does it as long as we're following this prescription, as long as we're following this text and doing it as prescribed. Um, we don't have to shout it from the mountain. We don't have to push anything about God. And after my relapse some time ago, I, you know, when I got back to step two, I realized that my, my faith and, and belief was insufficient. And I called my brother, who is a great man of faith. He's just incredibly uh, faithful. And I just wanted to get his opinion. And I was so much in fear about being right about God and knowing the truth and having all my human need in there to control things and be self-sufficient and really to play God. 
So I asked him how he kept his faith, and he told me this little parable that changed my life. And he said, an ass, a donkey, was, um, off, was starving to death and offer, was offered two stacks of hay to choose from to get out of his calamity and starving to death. And he couldn't decide. He couldn't choose. And so he, he sat between the two stacks of hay and, and died of starvation. And my, my brother said to me, there's ample evidence and no proof for the existence of God And there's ample evidence and no proof that God doesn't exist. So just choose. And in that moment, I said, oh, my gosh, I just have to choose, choose. So I chose. I chose that God exists in all things. There is God. And I chose to live my life that way. And now I don't have to question or struggle. You know, it just gives me a foundation and a direction that, okay, this is what I'm choosing to believe. Either way, there's ample evidence to refute both. And so it seems like, you know, all my pain was in just trying to figure out, figure out what was going on, being in that paradox of doubt and seeking and doubt and seeking and just trying to have control over the answer about God. And in the text, it says we agnostics and atheists were sticking to the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems. And I just wouldn't let go of the need to control. And in that moment, I surrendered and I, I just surrendered my need to be in control. And that's how I move forward. So it's that simple. I just wanted to make it really hard. And the good news is there's always more to be revealed to me. I evolve in the the program, and my relationship with higher power evolves in the program as long as I have the willingness to ask for help and not try to do this alone. I have proved over and over that I can't do it alone. I need this group. I need God. I need need every little bit of help I can get. And, And now I'm free because of it. So thanks, I pass. Thank you, Marie. We're now going to open it up for sharing, and who would like to share this morning? Marco? Marco. Well, John Kay. John Kay. <laughs> I couldn't hear that uh, female voice. Stephanie N. Stephanie N. Roz G. Roz G. I can take a couple more. Anybody else? Last call. Okay. Well, we'll start here. We're going to start with Marco, then John K., Stephanie N., and Roz G. Marco. Hi, this is Marco L. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Thank you. Hi, thank you. I'm a over here in Honduras. Um, I always considered myself a food addict, um, so I knew self-sufficiency was never an issue because I knew I could never control the food. I just never, ever, ever considered that uh, that God could help me with it. I always believed in God, but I always believed that I was addicted to food and that there was no solution to that. That I had to live with it. That I had either I had to either try to control my food intake, or I had to live with it uh, until I found this program. And and I do believe God led me to this program because I was really really um, in a very bad moment in my life, and I just I was eating uncontrollably, um, and I just I, I I I didn't know what to do. I just kept praying because I said. I believe in God. I believe in God, and I kept praying and asking Him to help me with this issue. But I had never thought of actually handing Him over this problem so that He could solve it for me. Um, until prayer and meditation took took me to OA, and I found OA, and I and I started working my program and uh, attending meetings, and and thank God I found a sponsor, and and um, now I'm abstinent. Thank God for that, and and I know I have to keep on working the program because. Because if if I don't, I I might lose that abstinence. But um, but the, that's what what I I believe I, I can take out of this reading is that that self sufficiency was never an issue because I always knew that I couldn't control it. Um, and until I gave it to God, I found I found the solution. But that'll pass. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Marco. John K. Followed by Stephanie N. Good morning. This is John Kiernan, Recovery Compulsible Reader in Los Angeles. Um, thank you for all the people doing service this morning. 
Um, the first thing is sort of I found amusing is you realize of a generational thing. In my generation, when we talk about things we never thought we'd see, it was about landing on the moon. Um, back uh, then, uh, it was about the Wright brothers flying. That made me think it was only 66 years between those two events. Um, you know, self-sufficiency, that is the tantalizing thing about self-sufficiency is, at least for me, I was so good at it with every other area of my life except my addiction. And it's this tantalizing thing of, oh, wait a minute, the answer is right around the corner. I'm going to figure this out because my brain has figured out all these other things in my life. And, of course, you know, it doesn't work with addiction. You know? Knowledge of our disease alone will not cure us. Somebody here in L.A. who says that I just love the antics of broken brains with the broken brain. You know? um, the trouble is, is that when it came to the food and other addictions I have, uh, I was dealing with that thing in the second step. I'm insane. You know, I'm, I'm not crazy insane. That would be, it would actually be easier if it was this broad insanity that I could have recognized. But because it was so specific, uh, I could see it. And I love the definition of insanity that works for me when it comes to my addictions, which is a state of mind that prevents normal perception. And that was exactly it. I've got a great decision maker in here. I've gotten great things. But, you know, I'm a computer programmer now. We have a phrase, garbage in, garbage out, meaning I couldn't make good decisions based on bad data. And the trouble with being an addict is I had bad data when it came to my addiction. And uh, I needed help. In the beginning, you know, I was just like a business church experience. I had to find the educational variety of coming to a belief in higher power. So it started with programming. Today, though, I do have a belief in higher power. And I, you know, uh, the underlying thing of my higher power. Everything's going to work is working out exactly the way it's supposed to. This whole thing from uh, Robert Browning, you know, God's in heaven and all right with the world. But it's sort of true, you know. And I was talking to a friend who was an atheist once, and I was, I was sort of, and I'll wrap up, talking about that thing they call Pascal's Wager, which is, you know, do you, should you believe in God or not? There it was about being, you know, am I going to get to heaven? So if you, if, if you believe and it's not, there is no God, you won't go to heaven. For me, it's like if I believe and it turns out to not be a higher power, I've at least led a much more serene life than if I had. And with that, I pass. Thank you, John. Stephanie N., followed by Raj G. Hi, this is Stephanie N., recovered in Kansas. Um, the part that stood out to me was also the childlike faith. Um, I, I have a huge faith in God, and I always have. Um, and I remember many, many times crying out to God, you know, to change my body. And then I would be surprised when I woke up the next morning and my body was just the same. It hadn't changed at all, thinking, well, you know, God can do anything. Why didn't he do that for me? And, um, you know, and I, I didn't necessarily feel let down, but I was just really surprised. And um, when I got into the program, I thought, you know, I – I didn't understand that I, I uh, thought I had such a great relationship with God. But the thing what, that I learned was that I had no, no, I didn't have a relationship. I, I had a one-sided relationship that was give me, give me, give me. And I want, I want, I need, but I didn't have any trust. I, I thought he could do anything, but I didn't trust that he would do anything. And so because I didn't have that trust that he would actually do it, then nothing could come of that because I was holding back. Once I learned to have a real relationship with my higher power, things started to change and I started to change. I started to trust. I slowly started to trust God. And then once I was able to trust God, I was able to trust the people around me and let go of all that control. I had been controlling everything and everyone around me because I didn't trust anyone. And so once I was able to let go of that, that need to control and trust God with my body and my weight and my life, my finances, everything, um, everything just got easier. I, I, was, I was trusting God, and then I, I wasn't controlling people around me. I was trying to, you know, do um, life on life's terms, and I didn't need to control everyone anymore because God was taking care of everything. And... And just, things just started to feel so peaceful. Um, I'm just so grateful for that. So for me, that was the real, the real childlike faith comes in the trusting, just like 
my my little baby just trusts me that I'm going to take care of her and um you know she just she just believes and um anyways that's that's the faith that I had to get back to so anyways with that I pass have a great day thanks thank you Stephanie and Roz G are you there Raj G, star one. Good morning. This is Raj G, compulsive overeater, recovered in Los Angeles County. And I was thinking about children and their brains. Children are able to learn so many languages at a young age. And it takes an adult a lot of practice, if not, you know, not really be having the capability of learning other languages. Or if they do, it's so limited. And I think of, I can think of um, people that I know that were born in Europe and they, and they were surrounded by different languages as children and they like can speak three or four languages. And having a childlike faith is, is saying, is, it's like a sponge. It's saying, I, I'm, I'm, I can learn this. Just, I'm willing to learn it or, okay, teach me. And I got too big for my britches in my life, in, in my disease. I became a, a know-it-all and um, knew every diet. And as I, I knew how to diet, I could have been a professional nutritionist or a professional dieter. And just I really became too big for my britches and I got too smart. But all of that self-knowledge availed me nothing. So... I didn't know that I was returning to a childlike faith when I said, I surrender. I've been in too much pain, enough pain to say, I can't do this anymore after many years in OA. And I surrendered to the big book in a different way. I surrendered to a sponsor in a different way, a way of of humility that I had never known before. And with that, I'm flying I'm flying on on recovery. I'm flying on not having to, uh, or maybe I should say this, when I go to bed at night and I do my uh, nightly review, I'm not having to make amends. I'm not having to feel guilt or remorse of, of, of losing my patience or yelling at somebody during the day. I'm so grateful for a childlike type of faith. I think God is pleased with that. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Rajji. I'm now going to open it up for more shares. And if you're just joining in, we're on page 52 on the third paragraph where it starts when we saw others solve their problem. No. <laughs> I'm... Hang on. It starts with, yes, what well, we saw others solve their problems, and it goes for two paragraphs, and I'm going to open it up for shares now. This is Barbara E. I'll share. Barbara E. Okay, stand by. Let me get a few more names. Rebecca E. Rebecca E. Terry H. Terry H. Terry KB. Sherry KB. This is Susan H. Susan H. And Sharon H. Okay, that'll do. Barb E, Rebecca E, Terry H, Sherry KB, Susan H, and Sharon H. And start. I'm just going to start with you, Barb E. Star one. Great. Can you hear me all? I can. Thank you. Wonderful. I am so glad. I just got out of the gym. Got on the 10 a.m. meeting. I love these paragraphs. I heard them and. Uh, listen to the shares on the 7 a.m. meeting. So powerful for me. And I love the previous, well, one of the speakers just now who compared deciding about whether to believe in God or not to believe to the donkey with the sack to pay and starving to death. Because I have been in the program now, it'll be 21 years in July, and I've been abstinent all this time. But I heard a kind of muddled program when I came in. It was a no-nonsense beginner meeting, and they focused on the tools, which is important, of course, because we have to put down the food first. I did put down the food. I embraced the tools. But 
I thought I really didn't need the steps. I wasn't an alcoholic. Uh, and I heard, fake it till you make it. So, okay, I was willing to fake it. I'm pretty good at faking everything in my life. But I never tried to really go past the faking. And I never really took a step sponsor who was willing to take me through the big book. And when the donkey comparison was made, I thought, yes, I have to take that leap of faith or I will starve to death. I have to choose to believe, to trust, to take that leap off the bridge with the bungee jump uh, and pray and know that I will be caught by a higher power. And it's not up to me when my higher power comes. And all I know is I have to do the action. I have to pray, be willing, but do the action. I have a set-aside prayer that I just rewrote today saying, please help me to set aside my desire to control everything, to think that I have this arrogance and to wait for and be open to the grace of God as I believe there is now. I don't want to be that starving donkey anymore. And I hope I got that right. No proof, but ample evidence. I might have switched it around. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you, Barbie. Rebecca E., followed by Terry H. Hello, this is Rebecca P. in um, Louisiana. I'm a compulsive overeater. And, um, yeah, this paragraph... um, Reminds me of uh, when I first believed in my higher power. Um, I was 30 years old, and previous to this, I had always been interested in science, and everything had to be proven to me before I could believe in its existence. And one of the things that I couldn't uh, prove was the existence of God. And... um, for a long time, I was an atheist, and I was a very uh, sarcastic atheist. And um, I uh, married a man that um, was um, that uh, shared my um, ideas, and um, but uh, um, something happened. I think I I was having problems with depression and I was being treated for it and nothing seemed to help. And um nothing no none of the none of the therapists seemed to help or anything. And um I had a friend who was witnessing to me about my higher power and um she um she finally uh, I, I, she kept on to me about it, and they, um, she had something that I wanted, but I felt like um, I couldn't have it because I couldn't bring myself to believe in anything like that. But um, at that point, I gave up. I gave up because nothing seemed to help me, and um, I. Uh, I pretty much gave myself up to my higher power, and things changed. I had a higher power that could work miracles in my life. And but many years later, I started. I I had to go into my first twelve-step program, and I didn't get. I, I I didn't get the relationship with my higher power that I have now. That I. Um, I'm in the 12-step program because before it was more, I guess you could say nebulous. It was more like a cloud. It was very vague. But when I got into the 12-step program, they gave practical instructions on how to um, get this um, you know, relationship with the higher power actually a working relationship and that includes my working as well as my um higher powers 
working in my life. I found out that I have to do a life part too. But in a way, I have to let go of my part too because my my uh, my control, my my uh, putting my order in for what I want to work, I have to do his will as well as my own. And no, I have to do his will solely and let him take care of my will. So um, that's where I'm presently. And um, thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Rebecca. Terry H. followed by Terry KB. Hi, everyone. My name is Terry H., a recovered compulsive overeater in North Carolina. Grateful today. Oh, it's a beautiful day. Um, I am powerless over compulsive eating, bulimia, and anorexia. You know, I succumbed to my disease over and over. Um, my life was totally unmanageable. Um, I have a twofold disease. I have an allergy to certain foods that I can never eat because when I eat them, I don't know when I'll stop eating them. And then I'll binge, and then I'll stop eating and become anorexic. Um, I also have an obsessive mind and that, you know, made it difficult for, with me, for me to deal with life and life situations. And so I turned to the food to help with that. Food was not the problem. Life was the problem and my inability to deal with life on life's terms. And, you know, I succumbed to my disease over and over, um, over 30 years. And eventually, you know, I got to the point of desperation and hopelessness. But I had that childlike faith. I had that a little bit of faith, a little bit of hope. And when I went into the rooms of OA, you know, um, I, I was able to get abstinent, but I just didn't know about the obsession of the mind. You know, no matter what I did, I could not defeat this obsession of the mind. And so when I eventually um, acted on my, will, my wee bit of childlike willingness and asked somebody to sponsor me and work through the steps, you know, I was abstinent. I was able to get some clarity and, and learn more and more as that child absorbs like a sponge, I hear. I've heard several times on the line. And, you know, the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn more. And, you know, by working through the steps, I had a spiritual experience as a result of, you know, that willingness. I was powerless. I needed a power greater than myself um, to restore me to sanity. I could not do it. My self-sufficiency, my self-knowledge failed over and over and over again until I was almost dead. And so that little bit of uh, willingness, that childlike little grain, just kept hope, gave me a little hope to keep working and to keep working at it. And the more clarity I received and and got as a result, um, the more understanding about my disease and what I needed to do. And today I do the work. Today I take the action. You know, today I, you know, I believe. Today I believe because I see it in other people, recovered people. I hear it when they talk. I hear their experience, strength, and hope. And for that, I am so grateful. I was um, talking to my sponsor this morning, and I said, how, Hi, how, how, how wonderful it is to wake up first thing and, and talk about how awesome this God is in our lives today. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much, Terry. Sherry KB. Good morning, Sylvia. Good morning, everybody. This is Sherry KB in Northern California. <clears throat> grateful Recovered Compulsive Reader. Um, grateful to be here. Thank you for your service, Sylvia, and everybody on the line. Um, what What comes to me here is when it's talking about childish faith. Um, that you know, here's the Wright brothers who totally relied on childish faith to, that their flying machine would work, and it was the mainspring, which means that it's the major resource. The the effective resource, and so, and then it says, without that, nothing could have happened. And so, to me, what it's telling me is, Sherry, jump on in, jump on into these steps, just jump right in, you know, just have the faith that this is going to work. And you know, that's what I did. 
I just jumped right in because um, my way had not worked for so many years. And, you know, self-sufficiency wasn't getting me anywhere. And without that, nothing could have happened for me if I just didn't jump right in because I kept trying to do it my way and my way wasn't working and I kept hitting a wall. And, it, you know, when I think of childhood faith, childish faith, I think of like um, I remember being in the ocean with my dad and he would put me up on his shoulders and let me dive in the ocean. And I just thought my dad was bigger than the ocean was and I would be fine. Uh, I had that, that picture of it in my mind. And uh, that's what I need to do is just jump right into that ocean and get in the steps, get in the work, and have faith that this is going to work. And just that my plan has never been, uh, has never worked out. And there's um, something on page 100 that says, when we look back, we realize that the things which came to us, when we put our, ourselves in God's hands, were better than anything we could have planned. And so, you know what, that's what's happened for me, is that I just jumped right in. I didn't think I was going to get recovered like all of you, but I jumped right in there, and I just kept having faith, and I kept calling people on this line and talking to them, and they kept saying, you can do it, Sherry, you can do it. It'll happen for you. It happened for us. It's going to happen for you. And I want to say it happened to me. It can happen for you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sherry KB. Susan H., followed by Sharon H. Susan? Star one, Susan? Susan H., followed by Sharon H. Susan, uh, we can't um, hear you if we... I'm okay, sorry. Yeah. This is Susan, first time caller in, so... Uh, That's oh, great. Well, all right. I can't. I guess I can't unmute and turn my timer on at the same time. So if somebody <laughs> could do that, I'd appreciate it. Um, I've got you. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you. Um, I guess the self-sufficiency uh, line really hit me, and I've been doing writing around it. Um, I've been. I don't have the guts yet to say that I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I have three and a half years of, I think, pretty good abstinence, but. Um, I guess I'd, I'm afraid to say um, recovered, but uh, I'm very grateful for what I have. Anyway, this, the line that really um, stands out to me and has for a while is that self-sufficiency. And um, so I've been doing writing on it, like a four-step writing. How, do, how I guess I'm powerless of getting over that. Because so in that piece where you're supposed to talk about you know what? What does this do for you? Or what What does this defect do for you? Or uh, like the big book talks about drilling down to that level. And um, I think it's because somewhere in my religious upbringing, it there was this parable that said this guy, this master, gave um, talents, uh, you know, coins to these people, his three servants, and one of them went out and invested and came back with more, and another one. I don't know, hit it or whatever, just tried to save it. And the one that went out and did it, made more of it, got rewarded. Yes, that's what you're supposed to do. And somewhere in my childish mind, I took that to think that God wanted me to hear. I gave you a brain. Go out and use it. And don't come back. I mean, you shouldn't need to rely on me. You should be able to go out and figure this world out yourself and be really good and outshine and you know be my emissary and I don't know God knows what I took on and so now in the program where I'm trying to it's like that other line in the big book where it says where your common thinking is uncommon or whatever it had to be uncommon I'm having I'm starting to understand or whatever that maybe that wasn't the message I'm not sure what the message was but in this program trying to work these 12 steps now, trying to deal with life on life's terms, um, it's very hard to let go of those old beliefs and believe, no, that wasn't what that point was. <laughs> um, anyway, so I, I was just back to where then the higher power has to be bigger than even all those misunderstood childhood beliefs. And it has to almost transform itself in my mind because those old beliefs are so deeply rooted and um, hard to let go of. Anyway, so I just have appreciated listening to this and hearing that people's power is bigger than their own 
um, broken or whatever, twisted defects in mind. And um, thank you very much. Bye. Thank, Thank you. And stick around and introduce yourself at the end of the meeting. Sharon H. Sharon H. Oh, um, good morning, uh, Sylvia. This is uh, Sharon H., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Colorado. Can you hear me okay when I'm not on speaker? I think nobody can hear me, and I have a Minnie Mouse voice. You're blasting through. Not a problem. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I was just going to zero in on uh, we agnostics and atheists were sticking to the idea that self-sufficiency would solve our problems. When others showed us that God's sufficiency, sufficiency worked with them, we began to feel like those who had insisted the rights would never fly. And um, that means so much to me today because I started listening to the uh, Vision for You meeting and they were in the doctor's opinion and I had been in OA many, many years, 30 at that point actually, in and out of course, and uh, had done OA several different ways and so I really was a skeptic. I really believed that none of this stuff would work with this food addiction thing. And um, I was proved so wrong. And I didn't realize until I began listening to this big book again, line by line, paragraph by paragraph, that I had uh, gone back into um, that mindset of self-sufficiency. And today, uh, I choose to live my life by God being sufficient, and um, on page 68, it talks about perhaps there's a better way, and somewhere else in the big book, it says there's a new design for living, and we're now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves, and it was the process of going through this book from the beginning and then doing everything that the book tells us to do in between those pages that gave me a freedom that I didn't think I would ever have in regards to this particular addiction. So I am just so grateful to be a part of this uh, phone line meeting. I am so grateful for all the people I have met and and many that I met uh, face-to-face when I went to Virginia Beach for that conference. And so I am just so grateful and I encourage everyone out on the line, whether you've you're just beginning or you've been one like me that, um, you know, didn't get it, was in and out of the rooms. Um, Yes, this big book works. We follow the directions. They are very precise and they will set us free. And um, with that, I pass. Thanks, Sylvie, for your service. Thank you, Sharon. We have uh, about eight more minutes and so I can take three or four more people. Who would like to share? Who would like to share? Susan B. Uh, Susan, uh, I didn't get your last initial, but we'll get it. B. B. Okay. Who else? Mary Mrska. H. Uh, I didn't catch your first name. I got the H. Oh, it's Miriam Rifka. Uh Miriam. And then I can take one or two more. Ashley P. Ashley, I've got you. And I might have time for one more if you want to put your name in. Jody EQ. Okay, Jody, we might not get to you, but we'll try. Okay, Susan B. Followed by Miriam. Um, Hi, um, everyone. My name is Susan B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Grateful to be here. Yes, I could definitely identify. Um, my whole life was about self-sufficiency. Um, you know, my career, um, graduating from college, um, you know, being an athlete. Um, I was able to, you know, pretty much be self-sufficient and will myself through life. Um, but um, I was having trouble with life. I uh, was a, a lost soul. I was unhappy. Um, I couldn't control my emotional state. Um, I had been suicidal multiple times, um, on psychiatric wards multiple times. Um, 
And I just gradually bottomed out with my, you know, food addiction. I had been in rehab several times in my 20s, three different times. And I had such a problem with acceptance um, and surrender. Um, And I just continued to resist it um, up until 2016 where I was in um, rehab twice for three months each time and had hit such a bottom that it it had gotten to the point where um, pretty much I was ready to overdose. That's where my uh, addiction had taken me. Um, And then when I came to Vision, um, actually when I got out of rehab and I I came back um, from, you know, I went to rehab in a different state, I started to play around again um, with my food. And I could see myself basically back on an airplane headed back and I got so scared. Um, and that's when I heard somebody on the line who is now my sponsor. And um, I basically, you know, just took a step of faith. Um, and, and I still have to say, like, you know, being newly recovered, it's still a step of faith for me. Because this is totally not like the life I lived. The life I lived was all about the externals. It was about the job, the career, the money. And this is totally different. Um, Really, like, putting God first in my life. There are days um, that things aren't going the way I want them to go, and I don't understand why. And there's a part of me that thinks, uh, oh, maybe I'm going the wrong way. But I know in my heart of hearts that my old way of living was self-destructive, and it only made me miserable. So it's that childhood faith that they're talking about. Like, I have that little seed of faith that this is the path I have to take. It's the spiritual path. Um, And it's only by hearing other people on the line and people that have longer-term recovery than myself um, that gives me hope that I'm headed on the right path. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Susan B. I have four minutes left, so Miriam Rifka, if you want to take two and then let Ashley take two, that would be great. Miriam Rifka. Sure. This is Miriam Rifka, Ace in New Jersey. Thank you so much, everybody on the line. Thank you for your service. I was just reflecting, you know, those who insisted that the Wright brothers would never fly, and I was thinking, how how did they feel? We're beginning to feel like them. And they must have felt pretty sheepish. You know, I'm picturing some gentleman at his table having an angry conversation and saying, it's ridiculous. They'll never do it. You know, and then here they are and they did it. And he must have felt felt pretty silly. And I'm seeing that in my life as well. You know, I also, I very much identify with everyone who's saying, you know, that they were living in self-sufficiency and that's me, you know, just trying to manage things just so, so that I'll be okay and I'll be successful. And I'm seeing in different areas in my life now where I'm, 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 you know, where God is helping me sit back and not take control. And it's amazing. It blows my, 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 my head off to see how, how my higher power takes charge of these areas. And, and he does a fine job, let me tell you, a fine job, a much better job than Mermarefka does. And it's just a beautiful program, and I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for every day where I'm learning new things. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you. And Ashley P., you have two minutes. Oh. Hi, this is Ashley P. Go ahead. Hey. Uh, yeah, so I was also really struck by um, those who insisted um, because – in the present, those people really thought that they were thinking correctly and that um, that what they believed was was correct. Um, and it was only history that would prove them um, that would prove them differently. And and so when I think about um, how I uh, how I've been and um, a it's not until I actually take the actions. It's not until I actually move forward and act differently and um, work the steps that later I'm going to see that um, 
that my life is is able to be different. It's only history that is only is going to um, is going to prove me differently. So when when I was in the food and when I was in my anorexia and when I was um, in my compulsive overeating, I thought that that was the right way to be. When I was in my self sufficient sufficiency, I thought that was the right way to be, and it was only history that that proved it differently. And it's only been some time um, having some recovery that, that shows that it's another way of life is different. So I think the other thing that I'm struck by is that if I don't believe that change is going to bring something different in, in the present moment that um, I just have to move forward. I just have to have faith and, and in time, um, I can look back and go, oh, my gosh, look at that. Look at all that's different. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Ashley. That's all the time we have. And thank you to everyone who has shared. And thank you to Team Thursday. We will now close with the reading for the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And please stick around um, for after we stop the recording for uh, newcomers and sponsors. And so uh, Sharon H., will you read a vision for you? Yes, thank you, and I will. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you charge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. 